Welcome to the Thought Leader Podcast. I'm Dr. Kent. And I'm Randy Baker. And we search the country from north to south, east to west. We search the globe to find interesting guests to bring to you so that we can challenge your thinking. We swim by sea and sail by boat and travel by camel. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I got all wrapped up in that, that intro you were doing there. But we, we look for folks who have different kinds of thought leadership. And one of them, I have to say my, my dad joke here, may the chauffeurs be with you. So if you don't understand that, it's uh, our guest today is Pear Chauffeurs, who, whilst being Swedish and starting a business in Switzerland, has now found a home in LA. So uh, world domination was in his plans. Yeah, this is a really fun interview in a lot of ways. Um, more than anything, because I've, I've never seen, uh, so of course I can see Randy and, and Pear during the interview, and I've never seen uh, Randy's eyes light up like a, sort of like a, a dragon in heat before. So when Pear started, <laughs> started talking about sales and all this other stuff, um, it, it was a very exciting beginning to uh, the conversation. So without another, another delay or any bad jokes, we're going to go straight to Pear Chauffeurs. So hi, Pear. Really nice to see you. I, I was just uh, commenting before we started that um, since our uh, listeners can't see you, uh, I have to sort of describe it. You've, you've got a beautiful background behind you and then like a just a, a movie set vibe to it. Uh, and, you, and you were telling me about your setup here. <laughs> well, thank thank you very much, Ken. <laughs> it, it's not exactly a movie setup; it's my office, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> so, tell us a little bit about the things that go on in there. There are a lot of books, uh, which I love. I'm also surrounded by books here. But what what goes on in your office most days? Well, like many entrepreneurs, I consider myself an entrepreneur, even though I'm old. You know. I work a lot, so what I do in my office here is is often Zoom call after Zoom call after Zoom call. I do a lot of networking. I actually counted. Uh, I do about 14 hours in, of networking a week, and and that includes Saturday and Sunday. But I I I, I run my my tiny empire from here. So um, that's what else should you do? I love that, the, the, the tiny empire. I think we all run our tiny empires <laughs> right now, especially during COVID and so forth. We all had our own little tiny empires. I, I love that. Yeah. Well, you know, the people that works, work for me are, some of them are here in Los Angeles and, and some of them in, are in the Balkans. Since we do work uh, globally, you know, I have to be, I have to be accessible at almost all, all hours, you know, and, uh, so I want to have it comfortable, and and this is this is a comfortable place to be in in my view. So that makes total sense. Um, I like being comfortable. I've got my own home office. I work from here, but I'm particularly interested about predictive analysis. That's something that I'd love to hear about. Well, what we do predictive analysis, but it's very specific. It is predictions of 
um, sales volume and revenues. So, so what we do, we have a process that, uh, that I invented that allows us to look at the company's market and from that uh, predict sales volume and revenues at different prices. And not only that, we can, we can, we can pinpoint the customer category, the customer personas that would lead uh, to the highest revenue from a, for a company. We can predict the marketing messages that leads to the highest revenue. We can predict the features and functions that leads to the highest revenue and the pricing strategy that leads to the highest revenue. So presumably you need a great deal of data to start with so that you can create an algorithm that makes sense for each individual company or is there a, a, a one-size-fits-all? No, no, no. It all has to be... It's custom-made for every company. There is no uh, one-size-fits-all at all. And um, the point of doing this is so that once you know these predictions, you know from a company perspective what customer category should I focus on? Um, how should I market to them? What features and functions of my product or service should I push for? And, and how should I set my prices so that I can minimize sales friction and maximize revenue? Think of it as a, as a, as a, as a whole go-to-market strategy for any company who wants to take themselves to the next level. I absolutely love the idea. I love the, the concept. Being able to predict where I get the best return on my next marketing dollar spend is incredibly valuable. How have you found your accuracy over time? And are you continually refining the algorithm so that it makes more sense? Yeah, the algorithm, we have our own software that, that does this, which is AI software. And, and obviously, it, it is continuously becoming more accurate. Having said that, Accuracy is, is always very hard to define because every marketplace is always in flux. There's new competitors are coming in, uh, old competitors are falling by the wayside, companies are changing their messaging, their packaging, they're changing the way they go to market, and everything is in flux. So because of that, it's very hard to to say this is you know this is exactly what 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 we will uh, what you will get, but I can tell you for sure that is much better and much accurate than what companies normally do, which is guessing, gut feel, look at a competitor and copy them. It's better than than using cost as a basis. It's better than everything else that you can find. So is it perfect? Nothing is perfect here in, in the world. What I do know is that at times when we have said we can predict you are going to have a certain market share, we have then looked at the, the historical data and found that our predictions of market share has been accurate within 2 to 3%. And it's also, we've been doing this, we, we are currently on project number 722. And um, all but a couple of these uh, companies are willing to be references. So it has really worked for just about everybody. So my wife has a saying, she's CFO of a group of 11, 13, I think, maybe even 14 companies now. And she has a saying that goes along the lines of, 
I don't need to be 100% correct. I just need to be directionally correct because that allows her to create the strategies knowing what direction to go in. Uh, it sounds to me like your market share predictions are really good. They're, they're better than just directionally correct. Um, but the results that you're offering is you know, improvement, not necessarily identifiable up front. Well, in, in a way, they are identifiable up front. I mean, I can tell you one client, a, a major household appliance company, when COVID hit, they came to us and they said, now everything has changed. How are we going to change? So we did the analytics that we normally do. And, and we have seen that even during COVID, they, we predicted they would lose we predicted actually that they wouldn't lose any any market share, any not not significantly in any way. They lost about five percent, so we were wrong with five percent. Their main competitors lost thirty percent. Okay, wow. because they didn't competitor didn't reposition themselves in the well. They didn't have the data that our client had basically, so they couldn't reposition themselves based on the new circumstances that COVID imposed on on the market. This is this is just fascinating to me. It is. Um, <laughs> it it is, is fascinating to me as well. <laughs> I, I think it's I, as a business geek, the holy grail has always been finding that point or that direction between pricing, market share, profitability. And I, I'm not a big believer in market research. I don't think that tells us what people will are going to do. But this intrigues me because it, it certainly or clearly gives a great direction and a really good set of data points to make decisions. And so that intrigues me. So the, the background, why we do, and you mentioned price, and I haven't mentioned price very much yet. The background to what, why we do what we do is that I had a chance to run a couple of companies in Europe and then once I moved here to the US, uh, I ran a couple of companies again. And in those companies, we did experiments with pricing. And some of those experiments were very successful, whereas others were complete disasters. And with success here, I mean, next quarter revenues are up 25%. And what I had learned in business school was so academic and so theoretical that it didn't help at all to, for us to understand why some of those experiments worked and others didn't. So when I decided I was too old and too opinionated to have any kind of reporting structure above me, i.e. a board, I, I decided to define a process that would make every pricing experiment a success. And that is to look at, uh, look at a company's whole go-to-market strategy in a holistic way and to understand from what um, customer profiles would lead to higher revenues, what marketing messages would lead to higher revenues, what, what features and functions would lead to higher re revenues and so forth. And having that holistic view is what is so important because I said that what I learned about pricing in, in business school was so theoretical and so forth that it was useless. And that is because it looks on, at pricing as pricing would live in a vacuum. It doesn't. You know, and and unless you have that holistic view, those experiments is is hit and miss basically. 
and that's that's the difference. And we do actually create this data from market research that we do. But we do market research very different because if you go to a market research company, they will tell you what somebody wants. Useless information. I will tell you what somebody wants to buy and how much they're willing to pay for it. That's a difference, you know? That, that is a huge difference. Yes. And, and the other thing is if you ask people what they want, they, they're not necessarily going to think about what is possible. They're going to think, you know, the old thing, if Henry Ford asked people what they want, they have said a faster horse. So very interesting stuff. Yeah, it is. Now, how you get to that is very interesting, Randy, because what you do is you don't talk about features and functions and stuff like that, because that's, that is the, in, in the realm of what people know. That's the faster horse, okay? We talk about benefits. And then we translate that into features and functions, you know? I mean, <laughs> you, you, may, you may or may not know the story of, of, of why the iPod was created, you know? And it was because Steve Jobs was so frustrated with, there were MP3 players prior to, 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 to the iPod. You can go to uh, one of those um, illegal download sites and, and download your, your MP3s and try to upload it to your MP3. And I mean, first of all, it was hit and miss whether download would work. It was hit and miss whether upload would work to, to, to your MP3 player. It was hit and miss whether the, the, the sound quality would be okay or not. It was hit and miss whether it would be a whole file or not. So he said to himself, like one does, you know, uh, let's build a better mousetrap. And he said, we need to have a whole ecosystem that is hardware, which is the, was the iPod, and software, and services, and content. So what, what did he do, do? Well, he looked at this. This is not features and functions. This is what benefits do I want. So speaking of seamless transitions, so my side of the shop is always looking into the story. And what I think is interesting about you is what is not apparent what's kind of beneath the surface. So I'm very interested in your origin story, as it were. So you had you were you were with the company in Switzerland way back. Um, I assume that you're Swedish. Um, Schöforce. How do you say yeah, Schöforce? Yeah, Schöforce. Um, I have Swedish ancestry, but I, I, my dad can speak a bit, but not too much. But I'm curious as to how you ended up in this field, how you ended up in Los Angeles, and kind of why you've stuck with it. Well, Switzerland, I was, um, that, that was probably the most, most exciting thing I've done. Uh, I, I was scared shitless, to be honest, because what I, I did, um, I, my boss that I had in, in Sweden convinced me, I'm an engineer from, from really from start, but my, my boss convinced me that I'm a sales guy, you know? And it eventually led to that he financed a new company in Switzerland with me as a CEO and with a, with a target to develop and support the European market for a couple of American hardware brands of, of electronics. Um, which I did, but it was it was really scary because I've never been a CEO before. I moved to a country where I didn't know the language, and and of course didn't know the the um, uh, local. Even though I've been to Switzerland several times, but, but it was just convenient because 
uh, it's in the middle of Europe. <laughs> you know, <laughs> geography matters. That went well, you know, I, I drove that up to maybe six or seven million or something like that over a two year, two and a half year period. But then I was bought over by, by my main competitor, which was a Japanese electronics firm. And I ended up as uh, uh, a CEO of their uh, European subsidiary. And that was sort of an interesting thing working for the Japanese. And of course, I was going back and forth all the time. And they told me eventually that I was the hardest worker in the company. I don't think that's true. It's just that if they had a long list of things to do, if they have 50 things to do, of which 10 actually made a difference, they still made all the 50 things. I only did the 10. So, uh, <laughs> you know, but that was sort of interesting. And then I, I came here to the States to, to establish a, a, um, a division of a hard disk manufacturer. We were selling a sub subsystem and that was, um, the idea was to come here, that, that Japanese company, by the way, or European office I ran from London. The idea was to come here, be here for three or four years, cash in on the stock options and then move back to the UK. That didn't happen, obviously, um, partly because while I was very successful in my division, uh, the company around me died. So, and, and to the point that I had, I'd actually negotiated uh, to sell my division to Philips. And the, the only thing that was waiting was the signature of um, uh, the CEO of Philips. And then, of course, they got a new CEO. <laughs> so, you know. Sometimes timing isn't on my side, but that's, that's okay. You got to know Murphy's Law. So you ended up in Los Angeles. I mean, that's had some dramatic shifts, just like business has over these past, well, and just like, I guess, Europe has over this, these past decades. How, how have things changed in your, in your mind? And where do you think we're pivoting towards? Los Angeles or? All of it. Los Angeles, business, Europe, oh, the world. I, I, well, no, but I think that I think the trends, like 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 has been said many times before, COVID uh, accelerated trends that was already in motion. We all know that that the um, eventually the, the <laughs> so I have history in in the media and entertainment industry, and and a movie is a project. You know, you gather folk, you, folks, you do the movie, you release it, and then everybody disperses. And that is the future of all, I shouldn't say all, but a, a lot of work going forward. So what we call, I mean, the gig economy, it was called several years ago, but things are going to be more project-based. Companies are going to have a new product, and they're going to create the project team. They're going to bring in maybe only consultants, and once it's done, it's it's sort of those are dispersed again, you know, and then there are other trends, of course, in 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 that we are more, much more likely to want subscriptions than buying stuff. We are much more likely to again, well, I said subscription rather than buying individual units, if you like. We want access to content without buying it. We just want again subscription, so we rent content. We obviously want to do much more of, of, of meetings like this where we don't meet a person in person, but meet electronically, and that's not going to go away. There's, there's, some people are still going to go back to the old style of, of meeting, the old style of doing things. Um, but um, 
I think there's going to be more and more of, 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 of these Zoom and, and likewise meetings. So, so these are trends that we're all aware of, you know. Um, I see them as, as good. I, I don't see any particular drawback of them. I think it's, it's, it's good to have this mix of, of in-person and, and so forth, and in-person and online meetings, you know. Um, what other things that I think is, but we, again, we kind of know this. I personally think that eventually, I think that um, uh, blockchain is going to have a, a, a big impact on, on, on society. I think that um, AI eventually going to have a, a, a big impact. And of course, once quantum computing comes and becomes real, then I don't know what's going to happen because, like data security, <laughs> then the previous ones go out the window. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and 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 data security is going to be gone. I mean, how do you in a quantum computing world? How do you how do you save your your or or I don't know any way you you can you can you can prevent um, hackers to your data. You know, maybe maybe there is ways, but I I am not. So so this is going to have profound effects on on society eventually. Very, a very cool answer, I think, and comprehensive uh, and, and future looking. Randy, you were about to. I was thinking about the hackers and your proprietary information, and clearly there is a movement towards uh, open source everything. Even in the hardware world, there's a, a movement towards open sourcing how you produce hardware. If that accelerates and then we go into a quantum world, then I suspect that intellectual property loses its value. Or it's going to have a very short shelf life. <laughs> or a short shelf life, yes. Yeah. I think that's, that's something we need to think about as a, as a society. I, yeah, that's, that's also very, very thoughtful, actually. What happened when we don't have intellectual property? Or maybe maybe there's going to be another way of intellectual property. Maybe maybe the core of something, the core technology, the core algorithms, the core uh, chemical components are all going to be open, open source, available for everybody. But the way you express a product or a service around them are all going to be different. They may not be intellectually property, property um, defendable, but the way you go about to, to express those in different products or services are going to be different and they're going to appeal to different sets of customers that has different uh, preferences. And there's a, I've written a, quite a lot of what I call the decision landscape, which is that whole very complex set of external and internal factors that makes us make make a decision and and, and that decision is is actually um, it's happening in the blink of an eye and it's an, an emotional decision and then once we've made our decision based on the decision landscape and our circumstance we after the fact we we sort of intellectualize the, the decision and and in fact there is there's a portion of the brain just here uh, behind our our or nose brow, I guess you want to call it, that deals with emotions. And for the sorry people who have damage in that area, they cannot make decisions. They, they don't have emotions, and or they can make decisions, but 
decisions are like throwing darts on there. You know, it's 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 really hit or miss. They we all make mistakes, but these people make fifty percent mistakes or more. You know, so so they without emotions we can't make decisions, which is kind of interesting. It is so really remarkable to chat with you because I think in many ways you've got that bicameral brain firing back and forth between the sort of wonkish part of you and the creative side. So going all the way back to your almost childhood, um, where did where did that originate, your ability to sort of connect the creative to the data? I, I don't know. I, um, I had a very um, intellectual dad. And on, on my mom's side, there were musicians. So maybe, maybe that is the, maybe that's the reason, you know? So my uncle was a recording artist and a, uh, what do you call it, label executive. And my dad was a, I mean, man, you know, when he retired, he decided to, to, to take a, he was always interested in art. So he, he took a, um, a master's class in, in Italian Renaissance paintings or something like that. And because part of the course included a, a few visits to Italy, he t decided to, to learn Italian as well, you know when you retire. <laughs> so, I love that. Yeah. So. so, and speaking of which, um, what are, what are your plans for the future? What's the, yeah, what are you building? What are you, um, training others to, to kind of take over and groom and all of that? What does that look like for you? Funnily enough, I, um, to extend myself, uh, I'm hiring, and I have been hiring uh, a couple of retired uh, business executives, people who have been very successful and um, and are getting tired of, uh, or rather want something more intellectually stimulating than playing golf. Uh, one of the guys is Steve Jobs' prior mentor, so get a lot of good feedback from him. Um, so he took a lot of walks. Wasn't that how Steve Jobs liked to talk to people who just take long walks? Yeah, it took long walks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm expanding in in that way, um, but I'm building the company. My my, I I was involved in a in a joint venture firm for a while, and I decided to leave that joint venture firm about a year ago. And uh, during that time, my my company was was dormant. So so I'm building again, and uh, and it's going really well. It's going really really well. Uh, that's what I want to do. I, I like building companies. I, I also do a lot of um, mentoring of entrepreneurs and, and so forth. I mean, uh, I, had a, I had a call uh, this morning at, uh, at uh, 7, 7 a.m. my time in California with a company in uh, northern Finland that uh, ma managed to develop some amazing uh, video analytics technology. And they, they sort of wanted my my input on how we, how we're going to go to market, how we're going to sell this and so forth, you know, so I spent an hour or so with them. Um, I'm doing that quite a bit, actually. And Northern Finland is pretty much the North Pole, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, that's they, way up there. They, yeah. It's way up there. I think actually, this was just below the the the, the Arctic Arctic Circle, but uh, it's still still a, a, a very dark place in the winter. It is. <laughs> I, I remember many years ago, I was up there and uh, it was very dark. 
Although I was up in, in summer, so it was actually very light. Then it must anyway. be very light, yeah. It was very light. It was. I, I remember being astounded. I looked out the hotel room and the sun was like right there and it was midnight. So it truly was a midnight sun. So, yeah, so thank you for this pair. It's always a delight to speak with people who are deep thinking and actually look to the future in, a, in an optimistic way but in a realistic way as well. So appreciate your thoughts on that. Thank um, you so much. We tend to like keeping these interviews relatively short. We've gone a little bit over time because you're so interesting, so thank you for that. <laughs> uh, how can people find you and what sort of people would you like to connect with you? Well, my company is called Shofors and Partners. So although I have an unpronounceable and unspellable name, I also have a moniker and I'm called The Price Whisperer. So you can always go um, Google The Price Whisperer and I'm going to come up there, you know, um, together with a service from, um, from a, a real estate company that has also something called The Price Whisperer or had, they don't have it anymore. So showforce.com is my company, uh, S-J-O-F-O-R-S.com. Uh, there you can read a little bit about what we do. And, and I do a lot of articles and stuff like that. And there's, there's uh, dozens and dozens of links and, uh, to, to those, for those who want to learn more about like the decision landscape, for example. And uh, the kind of people I'm looking for, well, first of all, from a purely personal point of view, I, I love to talk to interesting people <laughs> you know people that are thinking outside the box um, um, people who have unusual experiences and and so forth from from a company point of view we are we're looking for um, sort of product managers and um, uh, insights managers um, people with um, PNL responsibility in larger companies and and CEOs in, in smaller companies when we when we work with uh, companies up to maybe 150 or so million we always talk directly to the CEO always but but in larger companies it's often these product managers product marketing managers and so forth those are the ones that we can provide a lot of help to thank you so much for talking with us um, I could I speak for both of us. I'm sure we could just chat all day, especially you started getting Randy excited about pricing and sales and all that. I think it could be a, an eight hour long podcast. So. Yeah, we can do that yeah. too. <laughs> so thank you for coming. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. And it's been a pleasure to be on, be on the show. Thanks, Pear. It is always refreshing to speak with somebody like yourself who is capable of extremely deep thought, perhaps even a little bit wonkish, but with huge practical experience and able to meld the two together to do something very, very interesting. And I love your AI, your analytics, your pricing and sales, predictive analysis, and all that sort of wonkish stuff. It's awesome. So our, our producer just whispered in my ear that the um, joke I made about Randy early on in the broadcast might have been inappropriate, the, um, the dragon in heat comment. So I, <laughs> I, I hereby rescind my comment and apologize, Randy. But a uh, wonderful discussion with Pear. Um, I, you know, 
it left me wanting to know so much more about his journey and his story because just the way he speaks about the future and about business was uh, really fun to, to listen to. And this is just another indication that story is important. And we'd love you to go to thoughtpartnergroup.com where you can see our stories. And at the top of that page, there's a little button. You can take an assessment and see how your story stacks up. That was good. That was a, that was a nice red thread there, Randy, with the story thing. I like that. So if you like Randy's ability to thread um, the needle through three stories, I guess, um, you can subscribe and join us for the next episode, which will probably drop uh, a couple days from now. I think it's every two days we're doing so subscribe, leave a comment, and come back to the next episode. Bye for now. May the show force be with you. Mm-hmm.